0: All right, so today we are going to see Satan's temptations square off against the truth, Uh, namely Jesus Christ, who referred to himself as the way and the truth and the life. And we're going to see how Christ uses the truth of the Scriptures, the Word of God, as he combats the temptations that Satan lays before him. And if if you recall, if you would think about where Jesus is at this point, the New Testament has yet to be written. And so he's going to be quoting from the Old Testament. And we can learn a lot from the Old Testament. However, I think many people in our churches today really shy away from the Old Testament. They, they do everything they can to keep from reading the Old Testament. Uh, yet Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, one of the least read books of the Old Testament, At least three times during this temptation is the wilderness, three that we have here, and the areas that he's going to quote are going to be directly addressing the response to the sins of Israel. If you really would look back, it would be a great study. We don't have time to go into all of that, but uh, but that. So so God oftentimes uses his scriptures as we fight fight temptation. Temptations come our way. God will often use. The, the scriptures to remind us of a, of a very similar situation that we're going through that will give us the answer to the way out of that temptation. The Bible is clear that, that, the, that it is called the Word of God in Ephesians six seventeen, the sword of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes that word and helps, it, helps us to use it as an offensive weapon as we combat the attacks of the evil one. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Join me as we read uh, about our perfect Savior showing us how to fight Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, Today's message, today's sermon, has a ton of application in our lives, Lord. The truth of your scripture is the truth. It is unchanging. It is steady. Um, There is a singular interpretation of your truth. It is literal. It is the word of God. It is what it says. But God, the application of your truth in our lives is seemingly endless as we battle all the different temptations that come our way. So, God, I just pray that you speak through me. May there be both fire and light, as we say. May the truth is the light. Fire is, is something that helps us to, 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 be, to have passion for you, to have zeal, to, 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 to want to be changed by your Holy Spirit. So, God, I just pray that you be with us today. Um, help me to to speak your words, not my own. And, God, help open up our, our minds and our hearts to hear and take in your word. And, and may we be changed by it, God. Uh, When we look around our churches, when we look around our world, we are failing miserably in the area of temptation, and God, I just pray that you help us to stand firm on your word and through your spirit to stand firm against temptation, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you, and amen. So today we're going to see three ways that we can stand in the truth while combating or fighting against temptation. The first is, number one, we can fight against temptation by standing in the truth of God's provision, by standing in the truth of God's provision provision. am just going to read verse 1 first. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So Jesus is stated to be full of the Holy Spirit here. This is right after uh, we just saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove in Luke three twenty two. And this doesn't refer like some false teachers will say that Jesus needed to be more God. He wasn't fully God. The Holy Spirit filled him at this point. He wasn't God before. We know that as garbage. The, the Bible has been very clear that Jesus is God. He's fully God, fully man. From from all eternity, and it, he was always God, and then he became man as he was begotten by the Father. In fact, Jesus, or in fact, Luke, if we're looking here, um, Luke actually uses two different words when he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon someone. We see uh, "katabeno," uh, which is what is used in three twenty-two to describe the Holy Spirit descending upon. It means to come upon Jesus. So, so the, the, this word "come upon" is what we see with Jesus, but then when it comes to, to sinners like you and I, when it comes to regular people, we have John and Elizabeth and Zechariah when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's a different word. It is pimbl pimblemy, me, uh, which means to feel to fill. So so Jesus in essence is anointed and led by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need to be more God. He is just being united with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is leading him. And this Holy Spirit that has just led him, and as this inauguration fell on him like a dove, the the Father has just taken part of this, the Holy Trinity, all together, this just mountaintop, wonderful experience, the same Holy Spirit's now leading him into the wilderness to be tempted. Oh, wow. I mean, isn't that how life works, though? Uh, Isn't that how life works? So it seems like right after the highest moments in our life, some of the best spiritual experiences you'll ever have, that's when temptation comes. And Jesus has just enjoyed this perfect unity with the with the Trinity again. You know, he spent all of eternity in, in full unity as God, the three persons of the Trinity. He didn't need us, he had perfect community in himself. And so he spent this whole eternity in this perfect unity. And all of a sudden, he he experiences that again in his baptism where the Father and the Holy Spirit in him are all together in, in unity. Again, and, and right after this beautiful time of intimacy with his, the other two persons, the Trinity, he is led to, to trials. And church, beware after a mountaintop experience. Beware after a mountaintop experience. And I'm sure many of you, if not all, have, have had similar experiences. Maybe you shared the gospel with somebody and they and they accepted Christ. I don't like that term, but they but they they, they came to a, a saving knowledge of Christ. God drew them, and they they came to a saving knowledge and they came to Christ and they chose to follow Jesus and man you're just so pumped. You could not be more ecstatic at this point. You've just you know that you didn't save them, but but God chose to use you and you got to see somebody go from death to life right in front of your eyes. And you just want to tell everybody that so and so just got saved and praise the Lord everything is great. Or maybe you just had this great spiritual experience on a retreat and and you had this group of people and man, you all were just worshiping the Lord and, and you just feel like that's where you're at. You're like, man, on top of the world, nothing could knock me down right now, There there is, you know, everything is great, everything is perfect, and maybe it's just hours later that you went from cloud nine to falling down in the depths of the valley. Maybe you give into that temptation that you've been fighting so long, that you've been having such victory in. Maybe you start spending countless hours online. Uh, may- maybe you are giving your addiction to gaming, and, and you just you just gave into it. You are reposting that juicy gossip on Facebook and Twitter, and you are like, "What am I doing?" What? A-? Or you have these perverse thoughts that just keep coming up, and you are just ruminating on them. You are not fighting them. You are just spending time there, and in a ma- matter of minutes to hours, you went from from the mountaintop to falling down the mountain and in this valley. Today, we're going to see how to fight those temptations. The scriptures are clear. If you look at 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, thirteen. I put all these scriptures we're going to address. They're not all in, on the slides, but they're all in your handout if you want to go through these. Uh, in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, Paul tells us that we have a way out of all temptations, that God will give us a way out. And, and so we're, l- let's learn from the master on how to deal with these temptations, the one who never failed, the one who always fought well. And, and so many may l- look at Jesus and say, well, I know he was tempted, but he was God, right? I mean, so of course he was going to win. But just think about it. You know, for me, I've never ran a marathon. Somebody here may have ran a, met, ran a marathon. I, I know that it's hard to run. I've ran. Uh, I, I, I like to run. Um, liked, I used to like to run more when I wasn't quite as uh, uh, much of me running. Um, I have a little, it's a little harder to get this, this much man going. Uh, but I still do enjoy it. Um, but I can't tell you what it's like to run a marathon because I've never done it. I've never full, felt the full weight of a marathon run. So I can't say, hey, running a marathon is really hard. I can say it probably is, but I haven't felt that horrible feeling that you probably get at mile 25, you know, point nine, when you're just like, I'm done. I'm going to die. Um, Jesus, he, he, he took the full brunt of temptation. Most of us, we fold well before we get to that full fold. And he, he experienced all of temptation. All the way. So he does understand. And we see this in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted the way we are, yet was without sin. So there is no better schoolmaster, there is no better person to learn from than Jesus Christ when it comes to temptation. He experienced it completely. And it's important to know that Satan does hit us after our mountaintop experiences. Absolutely. But he oftentimes waits till we're at our physical worst, our emotional worst. And here's what he's doing with Jesus. Jesus doesn't eat for 40 days, and all the while, he's tempting him the entire time. And obviously, he's going to save these big ones toward the end here as we get to Jesus' maximal human weakness. And this is where we see uh, Luke 4.3, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... And, and this, this part of the temptation is oftentimes left out in many sermons and, and in many discussions about the temptations. We, we see the three temptations. We go right to the bread, the stone. We, we go right to that, and we skip this whole, if you are the Son of God. And we're going to see this twice. We'll readdress it again in, Jesus, in Satan's last temptation. So the first thing that, he, that Satan attacks, before he even, even gets into the actual temptation he's about to throw in, if you are the Son of God, he attacks the very heart of the Trinity if you are the Son of God. And, and how amazing is this, that weeks prior, you know, we have 40 days he's been in the wilderness, uh, Satan saved these last three for, for uh, you know, to kind of put, hopefully put the nail in the coffin. He thinks he might win with these last three. He saves the best for last for him. And Luke three twenty two. right before the Holy, the Holy Spirit had descended, you know, we talked about the baptism of Jesus. What did the Father say? You are my beloved Son. So Satan says... What? You know, are you really the son of God? God the Father just spoke from heaven, you are my beloved son. The Holy Spirit has just descended and, and, been, and been leading Jesus through this, but what does Satan attack? The very words of God. He says, you know, did, you know, if you are the son of God, and Satan works this way with us as well, does God really love you? I mean, did he really die on the cross for your sins? You know, if he really loved you, I mean, why would he let you go through this bad stuff? Like, if the Holy Spirit loved you, why are you in the wilderness not eating for 40 days? And for us, uh, why did he let you go through cancer? You know, if he really loved you, he wouldn't do that. I mean, what kind of father is that? You know, why would he let you go through an unfaithful marriage or a job loss or a fill in the blank? You know, life is hard, and that's been the temptation of Satan since the beginning. Look at Genesis 3, 1, and, and the bolded part there. Did God... Actually, say what, what? What is Satan doing there? He's te- he's going right at the word of God, right? God had spoken to Adam and Eve, "Do not eat of this tree," and and, and Satan twists the word, as you see there. do not, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden. That is not what you, what, what uh, God had said, and what we see that Satan does the same when he quotes the scripture, as he knows it well, a lot better than us. Uh, and, and this is where the truth is is so important. We can't go on our feelings. There's going to be times where you're like, Holy, Satan's right. I mean, why would God let me go through this bad stuff? Why, why would I go through these, these horrible illnesses and go through this? If he really loved me, why would he let me go through this? And, and we have to remember the truth of God's word to combat falsehood. We must know who we are, as the Bible teaches. We are a new creation. We are loved by the Father. We are adopted as sons and daughters, and we're still with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation. And we don't need to question the love of God. God does love us, and he's shown us that through the cross. Uh, He he died on the cross for our sins. He experienced more suffering than we could ever imagine. And God shows his love sometimes through suffering. And that is a very difficult teaching for us to know. Uh, You know, with, with your children, if you never let them ride a bike on their own. You never let them wreck every once in a while. They would never learn how to ride that bike and, and that suffering, that pain that they go through, and that they have to end up in the weeds or in the bushes of your neighbors every once in a while. Uh, that's the only way they grow. And God knows that we grow through trials. We grow in sanctification more like him. Getting back to our to, to uh, chapter 4, verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. So Satan then gets to his actual temptation later in this verse command this stone to become bread. And that doesn't seem like that bad of a thing, right? Command this stone. He's hungry. Jesus is hungry. It's been 40 days. He's, I mean, truly starving. You know, kids use starving. We all use starving sometimes after we haven't eaten for two hours. Jesus is 40 days into it. He can really use this term and not be off if he wanted to. And he, we know he certainly can do it because what's he do in Matthew fourteen, thirteen through 21? He feeds the five thousand, and that's just the men, so there's a lot more than that. I mean, if he can turn five loaves of bread into a lot of loaves of bread, of course he could turn that stone into bread. Actually, we see that God can, even out of the stones, rise up children for Abraham, we see him even say later. But what's at the heart of this temptation? Like, why is this temptation so bad? You know, what is Satan really hitting him? What he's doing is Satan's trying to get Jesus to distrust the provision of God. You know, distrust God. And, th- and that's what he does. When we're going through t- typical times, that's what Satan does. You know, you're going through these bad things. God really doesn't love you. He's probably not even real. You know, if there was a real God, he, he would he would do this. And so that's when sa- what Satan is doing. He's, he's hitting at the provision of God and the love of God. So Satan's already aimed at damaging this relationship between Christ and his Father and questioning it by questioning his sonship. And now he's questioning the Holy Spirit's leading and whether God loves him or provides. Pastor John MacArthur states, This was a serious assault not only on the deity and perfection of Jesus Christ, but also on the unity of the Trinity. But how does Christ respond to this temptation? Let's look at verse 4. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. He quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. How amazing is that? Wow, there is such power in that statement. Man shall not live by bread alone. Christ sees beyond his circumstances. He sees beyond his circumstances physical hunger and he sees the depths of the temptation that satan is bringing at him he doesn't rationalize this temptation or make excuses for it he, he doesn't blame shift this situation on god the father like god you know if you would have taken better care of me then i wouldn't have given in and done such and such god if you wouldn't have let me get so hungry then i wouldn't have done such and such i wouldn't have disobeyed you uh, you know, if, if you wouldn't have predisposed me to wanting food, then I wouldn't have sinned against you. How often do we do that, my friends? When a temptation comes, how often do we rationalize things and blame shift it onto somebody else? It's their fault. Uh, it's my situation's fault. It's my genetics. That's what's the problem. It, it's it's you know, my mom or my dad. or I, I have an excuse for why I do what I do that is sin. My friends, we, we can't do that. We have to follow our Master, the, the, our Heavenly Father, who teaches us that. We we may be tempted to to doubt God's love and provision as well and try to become God ourselves and go out in front of Him like, like Jesus was tempted to do here. We might be tempted to, to rationalize fudging on our taxes because we need a little extra money, right? It's coming to tax season. You start to look at the numbers, and it's like, well, if I just... If I added a couple of numbers here, I added a couple more deductions that I I acted like I gave here, but I really didn't, then I may get a bigger tax refund. We may be tempted to to jump into this human relationship, this sinful human relationship, because you know what? I just don't feel loved by God. His love's not enough. So I'm going to put myself in this bad situation with an unbeliever because I need to feel loved. Or we might might buy more stuff. You know, maybe getting a bunch of stuff will make me feel more important, and I'm going to find my fulfillment, and my love is going to be experienced through stuff. My friends, all of those are doubting the provision and love of God. Be content in the Lord. He's done so much to show us His love for us. And, And there's no greater love than He can show than what He's on the cross, as we've already mentioned. By His wounds, we are healed. He took our punishment on the cross, and his provision has sustained us thus far. We're still here today. And so his provision has has sustained us so far, and it will continue to sustain us for all eternity. Trust him. His love and provision never fails. Next we see number two. We can fight against temptation by standing in the truth of God's primacy. The truth of God's primacy. I'm going to read verses Five through seven, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, "To you I will give this. I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours." So, seeing his defeat, Satan moves up a few rungs on the ladder of temptation. He, he ups his game a little bit, and he promises Jesus all authority. And glory! Wow, isn't that good? Uh, this temptation is to to take his place as fully glorified before before the appointed time. Satan does tell a partial truth. Satan does have some authority. We see in First John five nineteen, we know we that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So Satan does have some authority. But we also know that God is fully sovereign even over Satan as well. The, the opening chapters of Job show us that Satan has to go to God in order to even tempt or test Job. And we see this in John 16, 11 as well concerning judgment because the ruler of this world, Satan, is judged. as sp- sp- has already happened. It's going, you know, he, Satan has a plan for his life and God's plan for Satan's life is the lake of fire is where he will be. So this authority that that Satan offered was, first off, temporal in nature, and he didn't really have it to give anyway. His, His authority was only a partial authority, still under the sovereign hand of God, and that is still what it is today. But the temptation he was placing before Jesus was to forego the suffering of the cross and go with the authority and glory with one quick decision. We might call this the easy road or the seemingly easy road, but this easy road was the broad gate and the broad road that leads to destruction. Jesus had a promise of glory awaiting him. We see this referenced in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Uh, We call it the Christ hymn is what it's called there, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Christ will be fully glorified. He's been glorified already, but he will be fully glorified, glorified by even unbelievers, though they will be forced to fall before him. And so... Christ knows this. He knows that he will be glorified fully at one, in one day. But what, what, what uh, Satan does not tell him is before that, right, and Jesus knows this, there's a cross. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, before he, was glorifi- before he's, he is to be glorified. So the devil offers a crossless, a crossless path that did not truly exist. It's a mirage. It's a, a made-up thing, and, and he can do that to us as well. Christ's path of glorification goes right through the cross. That is the only way to glorification for Christ. And isn't it so tempting to take that easy road though? Even if it is a mirage, man, doesn't it look so much easier? It's like, Well, I mean, I could study for this test, or I could cheat off my friend who studies real hard and knows her stuff real well. So maybe I could do that and or or maybe I could let somebody else do the project and just put my name at the bottom. You know, they do a better job anyway, and I don't want to get in their way or you know, maybe I can, at work, maybe I can, uh, you know, get this, get my, get my, this, this, my partner to do all the work, and I can just kind of come along, and those easy roads are just, they seem so easy. It's, God, like, oh, man, you know, let's just do that easy thing, but it will lead you into darkness, and your sin will find you out one way or another, whether it's on this side of eternity or another. So how does Jesus fight this temptation of, of the easy road, the crossless path? How, how does he fight Satan and We see this in verse 8. And Jesus answered him, It is written, again, it is written. That's the word of God. Anytime temptation comes at us, it is written. That should be our answer. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He asserts the premacy of God. The word premacy means foremost. God is above all. He is the only one worthy of our worship and honor and praise. My friends, our failure against temptation is actually a worship problem. Yes, there are many temptations that come at us, and the lusts of the flesh are seemingly innumerable. However, the real issue at stake is the primacy of God. Again, the real issue is that we have a worship problem. We have a worship problem. So we are all made to worship. We were all built to worship. And we're, we're, we're built to worship. God is where we should go. But if we do not put God as the centerpiece of worship, it will become someone else. It will become something else. The Bible teaches that we're all made to worship. John four twenty three. but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father and Spirit and truth, and the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Some are true worshipers of God. I pray that we are a church full of true worshipers of God. But others are worshipers of creation, and they're idolaters, Romans one twenty-five says this: because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, church, when we give in to temptation, what we're saying is that it is not God that is worthy of our worship; it is that sin, it is that person, it is that thing, whatever it is; it is that lust; it is whatever it is that that car, that house, that. That relationship, whatever it is, we have decided to fall down and worship stuff or a person or a feeling instead of worship our Heavenly Father God. We cannot worship God and worship sin at the same time. My friends, we must choose to worship one or the other. As we read in John 4, God calls us to worship in spirit and in truth. And my friends, remember that the truth that God is to be held above all, that is the truth. Only God is worthy of our worship, and may we only worship him alone. And finally, number three. We can fight against temptation by standing in the truth of God's plan. God's plan. Let's read verse 9 first. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. So Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. We're not sure exactly what part that was theologians debate about where exactly that pinnacle was, but it's clear that it was the highest point noted at the temple. And again, Satan hits at the identity of Jesus. If you are the Son of God. My friend, Satan loves to question our identity as well. He, he didn't just quit testing identities or, when it came to Jesus. And we see this, that we're being tested, our identities are being tested left and right today. Do you identify as a Republican or a Democrat, Uh, white, black, Asian, or Hispanic? Do you identify as straight or homosexual or transgender or non-binary? Do you identify as male or do you identify as female? People throw around this word identity like it's theirs to own. Like I have the power to determine my identity. I am who I am because I say I am who I am. My friends, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You have no authority to talk about your own identity. Your identity is not yours. Your identity is in Christ if you are his. And that is why if you decide to identify as anything contrary to God's word, it is sin, and God will not have that. Our identity is given to us by Christ. We are bought with a price. Who are you to to call yourself whatever? You did not make yourself. You did not create yourself. You have no authority to tell God who you are no one else has any authority to tell you who you are, only your heavenly father. And Jesus got that. Jesus understood when Satan said, if you are the son of God, he didn't have to even answer that question. He didn't even have to get defensive and say, well, who are you, Satan? No, he didn't even, he, he bypassed that. He knew his father. And if you know your father, you know who you are. Let me repeat that. If you know the Father, then you know who you are. You're not going to question your identity because you know who you are is in Christ. You are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Sin, yes, the flesh wants it, the lust of the flesh, but that is not who you are. And if that is where you identify, you identify with the lust of the flesh. You identify with whatever sin there is. Oh, I'm just an angry person. That's just the way I am. That's sin. Repent. You cannot identify as a person of anger and be a believer. Oh, you know, I'm just a gossip. I know I just run my mouth all the time. Repent. Don't be okay with that. That cannot be who you are because if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Cast it off. Oh, I'm just the serial adulterer. That's what I do. I just sleep with everybody. You know, Repent. You cannot be a believer and live that lifestyle. I'm just, I'm just homosexual. I'm just transgender. I'm not really. You don't have the right to tell God who you are. He decides who you are, and he has said that you are to be holy as he is holy. Any identity that you have that is contrary to the word of God is sin, and it must be cast off. My friends, we do not determine our identity. Christ does. And we must stand in the truth of God's plan for our lives. We do not determine God's plan for our lives. You don't determine what you're going to be, what you're going to do, who who you're going to marry. God determines that you pray and you follow the Holy Spirit as he guides and leads us. And we follow his word. If you're thinking about marriage, God's word tells us don't be unequally yoked. If they're not a believer, no. The answer is no. If there's a certain job that you want to do and it's inherently sinful, then no. You, you, you can't take advantage of people and treat people badly. The Bible's clear about that. My friends, Jesus understood his identity well, and I pray that we do as well. So Jesus, uh, Satan continues after att- attacking the identity of Jesus. You know, he, he, he continues his temptation, and uh, here, here's what Jesus says, too. Well, actually, this is what Satan says. So Satan now is bringing out his big guns. He's going to quote the Scripture now. He's like, okay, well, we'll bust out the big, big guns here. And he says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands he will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. If you really are the Christ, throw yourself down from this high place. Note that Satan is bringing out the big guns. He's quoted Psalm 91, 11 through 12, and Satan knows the Bible very well, my friends, and false teachers do too. And they, they preach the same kind of thing. There are so many churches that preach you can identify as something else other than what is holy and be saved. You know, God made you that way. And, and false teachers, just like Satan, will twist the word of God to make your itching ears happy. And people will flock to churches like that because they want to hear that however they live is fine. Satan knows the Bible so well, and that's why we need to know the Bible well. We need to know the whole counsel of God so we can stand against the enemy. And we must be saved. We must have the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? We can't fully understand this, the Bible says, unless we have the Holy Spirit to illuminate it for us. Jesus knows the Scriptures all too well to fall for this misuse of the Word of God. And he says in verse 12, And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so for the third time, this last time here, Deuteronomy 6.16 is where Jesus quotes, do not put the Lord to the test. And this temptation is multifaceted. First, there's just this self-righteous temptation that is given here, right? I could glorify God by throwing myself down right now. I could glorify God by by just doing unwise things and making unwise decisions, just to show the power of God. And I'm gonna I'm gonna let God show His power by coming in and saving me in different different areas. But Jesus knew better than this. He knew the Father wasn't His genie to obey His wishes and to test Him that way. And we need to know that as well. We shouldn't do unwise things in order to make God glorified. That's that's sin. That's not how we do it. The next glaring temptation. Is the devil is preaching a gospel, a false gospel of prosperity and health and wellness here? And don't miss this. He's preaching a false gospel. Theologian John Nolan says this: According to the devil's theory, there should be no martyrs. Yeah, you know, it's, it's everybody should be healthy, wealthy, and everything should go great. There shouldn't be martyrs. Throw yourself down at the temple, Satan will catch you, or God will catch you. You know, the angels will catch you. You know, nothing bad is going to happen. There should be no. Martyrs, Satan is trying to get Jesus to go away from the plan of God and instead follow the easy way again and Satan attempts to deny the sovereignty of God and instead preach that man should be sovereign. Our will is what matters it 's not god 's will. God may say this, but you can do whatever you want to He, he hits right there it 's the heart it 's the heart of the false prosperity and health and wellness gospel. These satanic and demonic false teachers that preach these things. Say that God doesn't ever want to see you sick. He doesn't ever want to see you harmed. He doesn't ever want to see you die. You know, you should never die. You should just live forever, even on this side, uh, in your sinful flesh. I don't know about you all, but I'm not in a hurry to go meet the Lord. I mean, I I would love to do that tomorrow. I feel like I still have some work to do um, with raising my children and things. But, you know, I don't want this sinful flesh for all eternity. I'm excited to see it die, and I'm excited to be fully glorified. But that's not what the false teachers would tell you. Yet listen to the word of, of God in Revelation here. This is Revelation 6, 9 through, 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These are martyrs. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants And their brothers brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Wow, this is probably the most anti humanistic, anti prosperity gospel scripture in the entire Bible. What God reveals here is there's a certain amount of us that are going to die as martyrs. And until that happens, the rapture's not happening. God's not coming back, he's, He's not going to rule on earth in the millennial kingdom. How amazing is that and 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 so satan wants to hit at god's plan in this temptation of jesus like god's plan's tough you might die you might be persecuted you might be tempted you may go through horrible things you don't want to do that you want the easy road look at this wide road here and that's where most people go they go through that broad gate and that what seems like the easy way what they don't know is that it will cost them their soul They may have a couple more easy days on this side of eternity, but for all eternity, they will burn in the lake of fire. My friends, don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. And if you see other people going down that road, warn them to flee from the coming wrath. My friends, we may not understand, always understand the plan of God on this side of eternity. I I can't tell you why bad things happen. I see horrible things happen day after day after day. Uh, People pass away. Horrible things happen. And I don't have an answer, but I do know God's plan on the other side. Listen to the end of Revelation as we see in Revelation 21, 3 through 4. And I I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, like Christ, may we not lose sight of God's plan. May we not set our hearts on the comforts and things of this earth that are of sin at the expense of our eternity. God's plan is good. Is it easy? Absolutely not. But it is good. I can promise you that. Yes, it comes with trials and tribulations. It comes with times of suffering and persecutions. But it also comes with indescribable eternal blessings. Verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Finally, we see that Satan backs off until an opportune time. My friends, Jesus has passed the test. He is the true and new and better Adam. He is the true and new and better Israel. He is not given into the temptation of grumbling like the Israelites did. He's not given to the temptation of doubting God as Adam and Eve and Israel did. And he's remained steadfast and standing and the truth of God's provision, primacy, and plan. As we fight temptation, church, God's plan for us is to sanctify us and make us more like his son. I'm going to leave you with a final quote from Warren Wearsby. Temptation is Satan's weapon to defeat us, but it can become God's tool to build us. Let me read that again. Temptation is Satan's we- weapon to defeat us, but it can become God's tool to build us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I know this has been some heavy stuff. Temptation is so real for each one of us. There's no one here that hasn't been tempted. There's no one here that hasn't given into that temptation and sinned, likely even in the last 24 hours. Uh, God, we, we are all sinful. Our flesh is sinful, but we don't identify as sinful people. We identify as sons and daughters of the Most High, adopted children, grafted in, we, we, we identify as as eternal children of yours who are given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. That is at least those who are in Christ. If there's anyone here that, that can't identify with that because they have not put their faith and trust in you, well, I, I pray so hard that they do that. Because if we don't identify as sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords, if we don't repent of our sins, turn from them, and put our trust and faith in you, Lord. If we if we haven't followed you, admitted that you are the Son of God, that you died on this earth after living a sinless life, that you rose from the dead three days later, and now at the right hand of the Father. If we have not put our faith and trust in you, Jesus Christ, then however we identify, in the in the end, you will identify us as lost, as sons of the devil, who have the same outcome as he has, which is eternity in hell, which is horrible. And, and I pray that if anyone has not trusted in you and repented of their sins, that they do so today, I'd love to talk with you afterwards if you have not done that. For you who are sons and daughters of God, but yet you still continue to struggle with temptations, which we will continue to struggle with them, I pray that you find your identity in Christ, that you learn what his word says about each and every aspect of your life. If you have anywhere in your life that you've just accepted, this is just who I am, may you repent and turn from that sinful way. May you seek help, may you seek mentorship, and may you seek counsel to help you through those sins. Lord God, may you purify yourself a people set apart from this world at, at Cross Point Family Church. May you help us to, to be quick to repent. Yes, we're going to sin over and over again. We are a sinful people in our flesh. But God, may we be a people quick to repent and quick to love you, Lord. God, we love you, praise you, and thank you. And we ask that you help us to go throughout this week glorifying you. It's in your awesome name we pray, and amen. Have a blessed week.